Auburn's Weagle 91.1 FM presents The Scoreboard with your co-hosts Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. Your calls are welcome at 334-844-9345. Follow them on Twitter at Jacob Hellman AU and at Bay underscore Marks. Now let's take a look at The Scoreboard with Bay and Jacob. Welcome into The Scoreboard here on WEGL 91.1 FM. Or if you're streaming live on WeagleFM.com, it is Bay Marks, as always, sitting alongside my co-host, Jacob Hillman. Jacob, how's it hanging here on this Thursday afternoon? You know, today's a great Thursday. Hey, I mean, one of the best Thursdays we've had in a while. You Opening day, the Opening Masters. Day, the Masters. And look, Tiger Woods shot one under. One under in his return to golf, officially. He played in the PNC Championship back in December. That was a very uh, laid-back competition with his son. But today was the real deal for the first time in 14 months, and he he did really well. He played better than in the practice round he had, according to himself. Yeah, he listen. He had mistakes on holes eight. I think he had a missed putt on the back nine that really cost him. But he's three back right now. I don't think the lead's going to get to five under. Uh, DJ looks good. Sunjay M looks good. But I really just don't see anyone else really getting to that five under number. I mean. Cam Smith went off, birdied eight of his eight of the twelve holes after number five, and he ended. He started the day with a double bogey, ended the day with a double bogey. So he's sitting at number four, tied for first with DJ, who's minus four through ten. World number one, Scotty Scheffler, minus three. He was at minus four until he bogeyed the last hole. So this last, this eighteenth hole in the back nine is really playing tough today. Hole fifteen is one that's playing tough. I thought Tiger had a really good chance to make it a birdie there. He did not because he. Hit it way left on his second and third shots. Came up about 25, 30 feet short on the approach and wasn't able to knock down the putt. But then on 16, he did knock down the uh, 20, I think it was a 26 foot birdie putt to get to one under and he parred 17 and 18. So you can't ask much more from him. He's tied for 10th. Uh, no master champion in the last 15 years has won after being outside the top 11. Hmm, interesting. So big stat. Uh, Tiger needs to stay up there. Of course, there's a lot of guys that are still playing. Uh, Brooks Kepka, he's only through eight. Yeah, that this morning on the Eagles Nest, which we were on, Daniel Walken, Griggs Blankenberg, co-host. Thanks for having me and Jacob on. Uh, we gave our Masters predictions, and Brooks was mine. Um, so I'm pulling for for Brooksy there. Yeah, Brooks. Let's see. He yeah, he's playing one birdie. He should be one under. Eight. Yeah, yeah, a lot, pars and one birdie. So we'll see if he turns it on here. But that's your Masters update. It, it, yeah. It's been a fun day at Augusta National, and tomorrow might get wild. The weather. The weather, look out for that. Yeah. That might be the uh, the biggest factor. Now, if it's, if you're in the afternoon, like Tiger will be, you might you might be on the wrong side of things. So we'll, we'll have to see how uh, that's handled and moving forward into the weekend. So one quick thing before we get started about the Masters, you know how the Masters? I mean, it's obviously the most famous golf course in the world, the most prestigious, elite place to play golf, um, and it's never in any of the golfing video games or anything like that because, like, I mean. It's untouchable. You know, you play there once a year. Somehow, Dude Perfect got to film a video there. Not even playing golf. Playing all sports golf. There was the the Fred Ridley, the chairman, said something about that. I'm sure there was a lot of controversy over that. I mean, yes. In the golf community. As you can imagine, a lot of uh, stuck-up golfers or golf fans and golfers are not happy about it because, hey, I mean, yeah, obviously. I don't mind it that much because it shows me that Augusta National is changing its tune on things like that, which I think is a great thing for the sport. They're trying to grow the game. That's how you grow the game is yeah. 
even though it might be a little cringy, it's kind of uh, you had Bryson in there. I don't care. It's, a it's new, exposure. It's a new audience, and that's how you get people to get into the game. Well, one person that is in the game, uh, real quick before we get started, I want to give a shout out to a fellow golfer, Keith Marks, my dad. <laughs> I was on the phone with him yesterday. He said he'd be listening today, so hopefully he hears this. Shout out to lis- uh, you for listening, Dad. Always appreciate the listen. Um, but we're going to go ahead and get into it. Got a lot to talk to, about on today's show. Uh, Final Four, NBA playoff pictures, the Lakers missing out on the play-in tournament. Um, Auburn baseball, Road Warriors coming back home to face Vanderbilt. We got a lot of that and more here on today's show. So let's go ahead and get started, Jacob, uh, with the Final Four of March Madness this past Saturday night. Villanova, a two-seed, taking on one-seed Kansas. Uh, Kansas winning that game 81-65, and then the most Famous Final Four of all time, the most hyped-up game of all time for the Final Four. North Carolina and Duke, the biggest rivals in college basketball, facing off. And Duke with the upset win, 81-77. Let's go ahead and talk about Kansas-Villanova. Kansas walks away with the win. Yeah, it was a great performance from the Jayhawks. I said before the tournament that I thought they were the worst one seed in the tournament. And obviously, they go on to win the national championship. I think that this game was just a matter of, of them not missing. They, I think they were 7 for 10 from 3 at one point, but really it was Ochi Ajabi. I can never say his last name correctly, but besides the point, he was 6 for 6 from 3 at one point, and he finished the game 6 for 7. Yeah. that that You're not going to beat that team. And yeah. I thought Villanova played fine, just could not make a stop on defense when it counted. Yeah, Kansas grabbed that lead early. I mean, they got up 10-0 early, or yes. they, they got on a quick run. And they never gave that lead back. And it became a six-point game. Um, it was 58-64 to late in the second half. Villanova clawed their way back. They were starting to play a little bit more sound kind of within themselves. Um, and then Kansas again and Bill Self, that, that veteranship and that experience towards the end that they had, um, it proved to be the deciding factor in this game. Um, and they also shot 54% from the floor, which doesn't hurt either. So I mean, and that was 54% from three. Yeah, I mean – that's going to help you in a lot of basketball games. But um, David McCormick, the star for Kansas, he scores 25 with nine, almost a double-double. Abaji had 21 points, um, a double-double for Wilson as well. Uh, Jalen Wilson had 11 points to go with 12 rebounds. Um, they they played very solid in this game, and I think this game, we didn't have a show after this game, but this game when it came to the national championship matchup, which we'll get into the Duke-North Carolina game in a second, whoever they were playing for me, Seeing the way they played Villanova kind of solidified me wanting them to or me picking for them to win it all. Yeah, for sure. I, and I, I I picked Kansas to win as well, regardless of they played Duke or Carolina. I said that I thought the emotion factor would be too much. I thought that whoever won that Duke Carolina game should be too wound up. I don't think that was the case on Monday night, but obviously Kansas did get it done. Yeah, and then moving on to North Carolina Duke. Um, this game had as many storylines as you could ask for in a college basketball game. Um, Duke going to Chapel Hill, beating North Carolina like a drum, and then North Carolina returning the favor in the last game at Cameron Indoor for Coach Mike Krzyzewski. Um, And then these two somehow, a two-seed and an eight-seed, probably the best eight-seed in the tournament ever, um, face off in the Final Four matchup, um, and Duke loses in Coach K's final game to their arch-rival, sending the legendary coach home. Um, This in itself, too, this was a – this was kind of different from the Kansas-Villanova game in that it was back and forth with several lead changes throughout the game. What a game it was. It I was mean, a great game. That second half, an offensive explosion from UNC. 47 points, and Duke was right there with them, scoring 40 of their own after being up 37-34 at halftime. And I really thought that, you know, before before we analyze it, 
Was this the biggest game ever? It's up there. It's up there, but I don't think it is. Yeah. I. There might be bigger games. If Carolina had won on Monday night, I think I might yeah. be a little more yes. convinced that it is. Yes. But they did not end up winning the national championship. So that was basically North Carolina's national championship. I don't, I don't think any Carolina fan is that disappointed. The way yeah. the regular season went, just to make it the national championship and to be able to knock out Duke, I don't think anyone's too upset, especially with the future under Hubert Davis. Anyway. Back to this game. I thought it was just an amazing performance from Caleb Love, those 28 points, because they were absolutely clutch 28 points. He came through when it mattered. Uh, 13-0 lead uh, to take the lead, and I'm not going to say they didn't look back, but Duke didn't take the lead again until two-minute mark, and then from there it was just an exciting finish. Yeah, um, and the thing with North Carolina, which we knew throughout the tournament, was they don't play more than maybe six or seven guys. Um, they played eight in this game, um, Puff Johnson and company having to come off the bench. But you look at Duke, and they only had to play seven guys in this game. Um, Paolo Bancaro, obviously the potential number one overall pick. Uh, he had a double-double with 20 points and 10 rebounds. Wendell Moore Jr., one of those veterans a lot of guys were saying would be a key to their run. He had 10 and 8. Um, and then the second highest scorer on their team coming off the bench, Trevor Keels, he had 19 points. Um, but, again, the three-point shooting for Duke was kind of um, their Achilles heel. You heard um, you heard the crew talking about it throughout the game, and I, I truly think that that is why they lost the game. I think if they knock down a few more th- uh, three-point shots, UNC doesn't have the chance with Caleb Love at the end of the game to hit that dagger of a three. And you also got to look at the free throws at the end of the game. Yeah. I think that was a critical part in it. I don't think I, – I, I think, obviously, like you said, the threes were – I mean, 5 for 22 is just not good when North Carolina's going 10 for 26. So, yeah, I think that matters. Everyone's going to look at the free throws, though, and that's going to be what everyone remembers. Uh, I don't know. I, I just thought Duke was – again, it's not like they got blown out or anything like they did back at Cameron Indoor, but – it just felt the whole time it was like, all right, Carolina is ready to make a move, make a run, and they did with that thirteen nothing run in the second half. Something else too was was the foul trouble for the big men in this game um, on, on both teams. True. Um, a big thing for Duke early uh, was their powerful center, center Mark Williams, who's going to be playing at the next level sometime. Um, he got in foul trouble early. He finished with four personal fouls and was playing with four down the stretch. But then his backup. Uh, coming in off the bench, Theo John, he also had four personal fouls, and they got a lot of those in the first half. Um, so for Duke, I think that was something that also kind of hurt them with the way that Armando Baycott had been playing. He ended up fouling out eventually, but, I mean, what a game he had. He had 11 points, 21 rebounds. He was really kind of the talk of the Final Four, I would say, for multiple reasons. Yeah, like, For this game, for the championship, for the floor incident. I mean, <sighs> here's the thing. Baycott, that dude is a ball. I mean, he's a baller. You you mentioned the floor incident. If he doesn't get hurt against Duke, I don't think he rolls his ankle even with the floor messed up. Now, with that being said, I'll wait to I'll wait to complain about the floor in football stadiums. But I just think that it was a gutsy performance. He he got hurt and he came back in because he knew he had that one foul to give, and that at that point you, you're you're banging around down there, and he's gonna play through it. And he did just that. So respect to him. And I, I just thought it was a. Uh, I thought this North Carolina team was just so really well-rounded. Uh, you didn't have much of a bench. I mean, no, the, most, the most minutes was Puff Johnson playing nine minutes, and all he did was make two free throws and grab two rebounds. That, that, was, dif- that was different in the championship game when Puff went off. But other than that, man, it's just they didn't have any depth. Yeah. I thought that was, a, that was a big part of it. 
And, I mean, Caleb Love had to drop 28 in the Final Four just to surpass Duke. But, I mean, then you turn around and look at the championship game between um, North Carolina and Kansas, and virtually Kansas kind of shuts down, um, shuts him down. And he, that that is also another reason with their depth why they probably could pull that game out as well is because, I mean, behind him, they didn't really have much success. Um, but, again, the championship game – uh, North Carolina and Kansas. Um, this was a game too where it was. This might have been one of the more competitive championship games I believe we've seen in the past few years of March Madness. And it did not look like it was going to be one at halftime. It the really didn't. Biggest comeback for a national cha- championship ever. Uh, Kansas was down sixteen, and they made it happen. I just thought it was a, a an insane performance from the whole Kansas team. I mean, there's you know, you look at the box score. 15 points, 15 points, 12 points, 12 points, 14 points. It's not one guy that scored 20 or 25. And it was the same thing on Carolina's side, which is why it was so competitive. You had five you had five guys in double digits, 15, 13, 15, 13, 11. And sure enough, it wasn't enough, which I thought throughout that whole game, even when Kansas was making that run to come back, I thought Carolina would get it done. The way they played in that first half was so inspired. And I thought, Man, this team is just destiny. Team of destiny. And sure enough, Kansas said no. And I think I think Holly Rowe said it best. Uh, th- this relates to the women's basketball championship, too. Back in 2020, the number one overall seeds heading into the tournament that didn't get to play, South Carolina, who won the national championship, Kansas, who won the national championship. Yeah. I, I think a big thing, too, was also um, the two gutsy performances from Christian Brown and then Remy Martin from uh, Kansas. Remy Martin, a guy who... Um, from Arizona State, had a lot of preseason recognition. Beat Kansas twice in his career. Beat Kansas twice, yeah. He he was somebody preseason that had a lot of talk around him and had not really lived up to the expectations um, throughout the season that people had for him. Championship game, comes off the bench, hits 14 points, a lot of those in the second half. Very clutch performance from him. And then Christian Brown, a gutsy performance. He plays 40 minutes and as a guard, has a double-double with rebounds. He is 12-12. and 12, Um and that, I believe in the second half, that is what really kind of pushed them forward was those two guys. Um, and then as well as McCormick playing smart with the amount of fouls that he had and that dagger of a shot he had at the end, which, again, you could argue doesn't happen mm-hmm. if Armando Baycott does not get hurt. One more thing before I start complaining. Well, we got a break. But point being, how many times do you see a team get out-rebounded by 20 and win? Yeah. That's nuts. They also shot eight less free throws than them. And shot, they, they were 8 of 14 from the line. And still won the game. Wow. Anyway, let me complain about the floor a little bit. Yeah. I think it is ridiculous to be playing these games in football stadiums. I understand why. I under I get it. I mean, that, that pageantry, just feeling like you're really on the big stage if you're a player. And then, obviously, the money. That's what NCAA cares about, you know, as a nonprofit organization. And I really think that that shows that things can go wrong. And also, you see it every year. People complain about the sidelines. Imagine going and you just – there's nothing to see. You're sitting two miles away from the game. I think the Superdome is better. was actually a better viewing point from everywhere in the stadium than other places. Like, imagine going to AT&T. I don't, have, I don't think you've never been to AT&T. Not State. in person. When I went for the Auburn-Oregon game back in 2019, I didn't think about it then, but I thought about it now, and I remember back, I was like, watching a basketball game in this place would be awful. Like, if that football field looks small, imagine what a basketball court looks exactly. like. Exactly. And then, and then the thing is, is you end up watching – the screen the whole time. And that's just, I mean. You can do that at home. I get it. Exactly. So, 
No, I agree. I mean, yeah. I under- we understand the why, but it's yeah, like, it's just, dude. It's so annoying. Like, we can play at a, we, let's play at a huge NBA arena. Yeah. Like, that way everybody that's there can enjoy it. But then again, it's like, ticket prices are probably going to be five, ten thousand dollars $10,000. So. They dude. still play in the Rose Bowl, though. They do. I mean, I think I do think it's cool playing in a football stadium. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong, but like the optics of it all, like, it sucks. On the other side of the break, Jacob Hillman and myself, Bay Marks, we're going to get into MLB opening day. That's right, the defending world champion Braves are back. Jacob is chopping on. My Red Sox are back looking to claim the East. Don't go anywhere. This is the scoreboard, WGL 91.1. Thank you for tuning in to the scoreboard with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. You can find the scoreboard podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcasts. Welcome into the scoreboard on WEGL 91.1 FM or streaming at WeagleFM.com. I'm Jacob Hillman sitting alongside Bay Marks. Just wrapped up our final four recap. Now let's do a little bit of previewing as it is Major League Baseball opening day a week late. Well, and you know, I was going to say this during while you were talking about the Masters. Is that really a blessing in disguise? Because now not only do you get opening day, you get the first day of the Masters. Yeah, I don't think it's a blessing in disguise because I think you would that, have rather had separate days. Exactly. I, yeah. Opening day uh, is understandable. No one cares about opening day right now. <laughs> let's no. Be, let's be real. You, no, and you also can't have Braves Day and you can't have Opening Day. Yeah, I had to. Yeah, I had happy. It was I happy, don't have to deal with this right now. It was Happy Tiger Day, Happy Braves Day for me on uh, on Twitter today. But besides the point, so far today there's some live action going on right now. The first game that uh, was in action today was the Cubs hosting the Brewers. Cubs lead it 5-4 in the top of the 8th, but the Brewers are threatening with a runner in scoring position. Royals trailing to the Guardians in the top of the 5th inning, 1-0. And in the top of the 3rd inning, the St. Louis Cardinals are putting on the Pittsburgh Pirates. Might be another rough one. The Guardians. Yeah, I know. It's going to take some getting used to. Yep. It's easy when you're reading it off. Yes. Later tonight, though, the defending world champion Braves. No, that that just feels so good. Let it settle in. Let it settle in. The defending world champions, Atlanta Braves, will be hosting the Cincinnati Reds at Truist Park. Do you want to know something interesting? What's that? Our freshman year, we Uh started the show out with the world champion Red Sox, and we're finishing this show out with the defending world champs, the Braves. Not bad. Not bad if I do say so myself. But on the mound for the Braves and Reds, it'll be Max Freed for Atlanta and Tyler Mali for the Reds. Also in action will be the Nationals hosting the Mets, the Angels hosting the Astros, and then the Diamondbacks and Padres wrapping up opening night. Yeah. Supposed to be playing today was the Yankees and Red Sox, but uh, there might be some white stuff on the ground up north. Yeah, they're, they're going to uh, start it out tomorrow at 12.05 uh, from the Bronx. It's going to be Eovaldi and Garrett Cole. Uh, should be a good matchup. Uh, Nasty Nate looked good during spring training. And then Garrett Cole um, not having a good season last year. He was kind of up and down. Um so, should be a good opening day matchup. We talked about it on the Eagles Nest this morning. If you want to catch that, you can catch it wherever you find your podcast um, with Daniel Locke and Griggs Blankenberg. I, lo- I don't like the Red Sox to win the AL East, but I like them as a close second behind Toronto. Yeah, and I think what you've got two dangerous teams there with the Rays and Blue Jays that, as you said, the Rays never get the respect, and they're never talked about. But they always find a way. Still have Rosarina. Still have Brandon Lowe. Um, Wander Franco. Yeah. That guy's going to be insane. Yeah. I mean, I I, I I, think Franco will get up in Ronald Acuna, Juan Soto territory 
in the next year or two. I mean, they're they're a team that consistently the first month or two of the season are kind of are kind of sitting low, and then everybody's yeah. like, "Wait, the Rays are really good." Um, Toronto though, with Vlad, the offseason moves that they made, they'll actually they, be back in Toronto. They said we're all in. Yeah, they um, said we are all in. They they are my pick for the East, but like I said, Boston is right after them, and and reason being a. Obviously, Trevor Story, one of the biggest offseason signings we had this year. He signs with the Red Sox, and he put in a caption on his Twitter today, like, this is where I need to be is where I belong. Like, he's comfortable with it. Chris Sale coming back is going to be huge. Um, I think if he comes back healthy this season, Red Sox have a real chance to get back to the ALCS, which they should have won last year. Um, Man, I wish I did. I mean, that would have been a cool World Series for you and I to go to. Mm -hmm. Um, But I like them. The biggest thing for me also is just – Resigning or extending Rafael Devers. Um, I mean, when you when when one of your best players and his agent doesn't even look at their contract because you're lowballing them, like, come on, man, that's tough. But Bloom's got to Bloom's got to do something different. I also do have the Blue Jays winning the AL East. I mean, you you can't go wrong. Um, you you've got Jose Barrios, Kevin Gosman in that rotation. They're not even the aces. Second year righty Alex Manoa or Alec Manoa is. I just. I don't see how this team doesn't get it done. George Springer's uh, in addition. Um, I don't know. I, I just think that the power and everything that comes with it will be too much to the NL East. I'm going to pick my Braves, obviously. Yeah, I, I said it this morning was the fact that um, Griggs or somebody, I think it was Griggs, said that he thought Milwaukee had one of the best bullpens in baseball. I, I'm not going to lie. I'd put my neck on the line to say that the Braves have the best bullpen in baseball right now. Who was it? That said? It might have been Peter Moylan. Uh, he's a, he's an analyst on Valley Sports South uh, for the Atlanta Braves, and he said he said this might be the best bullpen ever. Okay. That might be a little far. Okay, that might be a little far, but I do think this has the material to be the best bullpen in baseball this season. Of course, I mentioned Luke Jackson. Uh, he went down with an injury. I don't think there's any official uh, diagnosis yet. Uh, I'm gonna look that up real quick because they were they were talking about potential. Uh, Tommy John surgery, but they're still awaiting confirmation on that. So, either way, Jackson's going to be out for a little bit. If he has Tommy John, he probably will not see action this season. And if he does, it would be postseason likely. And I don't even know if they do that. So, like you said, still, you got guys like Will uh, Smith, Matt Tick. You sign uh, Marlon Jensen in the offseason. I mean, and then also you have Freed, you have Soroka should be coming back this year. Um, because he had the ankle injury last year, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, Soroka should be back this year. Um, Freed, who am I thinking? Charlie Morton. Um, Ian Anderson. Um, uh, Juan. Huascar uh, Noah. Yes. Uh, yes, yeah, sorry. Um, but my point being, I mean, we, we thought, honestly, I mean, I don't know if we said this on the show, but I remember a lot of MLB networks last year were saying, like, that if the Braves had a liability last year, it'd probably be the pitching staff. You could argue in the postseason that's what won the Braves the World Series. I think it would be the bullpen specifically. Yeah, well, yeah. I, yeah, I think the starting pitching, what could slow down the Braves, uh, could be consistency there. You need Max Freed, you need Morton, you need Anderson to really perform well. Then behind them, is it going to be Kyle Wright? Is it going to be Kyle Muller? Is it going to be Noah? And then, of course, you're going to have Soroka returning at some point. I think the hope is midseason, maybe that around that all-star break. And then from there... Don't put any pressure on your guys. Don't even put, put, put any pressure on that bullpen. So we'll see if that happens. And, hey, we know that lineup is going to be a hot fire. Yeah. I mean, uh, let, me, let, me, let me pull up the, the lineup today because it's going to change in a little under a month. 
whenever the king returns. Ronald Acuna Jr. He will be back in the lineup by, I'm back. by May. I am back. I am back. So the lineup today, leading off, is the World Series, uh, not hero, not MVP, but the NLCS hero, I should say. Eddie Rosario in right field, number batting seconds, Matt Olson batting third, Austin Riley. Cleanup, Marcelo Zuna, he's back. Batting fifth, Ozzy Albies. Adam Duvall's in center field. Travis Darno's behind the plate. Alex Dickerson, designated hitter. He's kind of sitting there until Ronald comes back. And then Dansby Swanson is the nine hitter. Azuna's back very quietly, I may add. Yeah, and it's because of the legal troubles. Yeah. Those aren't – I don't know how settled those are, to be honest. I think it's pretty settled, but we'll have to see. Yeah. I don't – I I'll just – I won't say anything else. I'm, yeah. That's just what I mean. It's 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 a lot of things that I don't think – Like anyone, I said, it's an ongoing investigation. No one knows. No one actually knows. But I love that lineup. I think that Matt Olson is the perfect replacement for Freddie Freeman. Like, I don't think that he's better than Freddie Freeman or as good as he is right now. I think he could he could get to that point. He's five years younger, and I just he's think from that, here. Yeah, it's just it's a perfect storm. So I want to see Matt Olson really swing the bat and swing with power. Yeah, game. no, I don't disagree. I, I think Matt Olson's a, a pretty good um um pro, uh, not replacement because you can't replace Freddie Freeman. Right, somebody to come in behind him. I should say, of course. Um, uh, I really like the Braves this year. They're my NL East champions. I do have them going back to the championship series. Um. I don't have them going to the World Series again just because of how tough that is. Um, but I do have them going back to the NLCS. Um, but, again, I, I think your NL champion is going to be somebody out of that NL West division this yeah. year. I, I've got them in the World Series, but I don't have them winning it. I know who you have Yeah, winning. we'll get to it. We'll go quickly. Right now, let's go to the AL Central. Yeah. The Chicago White Sox, they're going to get it done this year. I picked them last year, and they look great. And they didn't do much in the playoffs. So, I think Tim Anderson, I, th- I, I think – that he is going to lead the charge on this young White Sox team that they just they got to figure it out. Luis Robert, I mean, hey, that guy could be MVP candidacy soon. Yeah. Uh, I think a, a big thing, well, as I'm trying to pull up my notes right here, um, what division are we talking about? I'm sorry. I lost AL Central, my... Chicago White yes, Sox. Yes, you're right. Um, I, I like Chicago, too. We talked about it earlier on the show. Yoan Moncada, um, um, the the several key guys that they have there with the young talent. I think that's what the big thing is. A year, I think it was a year. No, it was two years ago because it was the COVID year or freshman year. Anyways, a couple years ago, I was really high on Atlanta for the same reason. Mm-hmm. My biggest thing in baseball is a young core with hot bats and high offensive power. Um, the Chicago White Sox with Tim Anderson and all those guys have proven to have that. And I think it's kind of a matter of, they had the talent, but the pa- the past few years they've gotten up to that ceiling, but they haven't pushed through. I think this year's year that they pushed through. Um, I think they get to the ALCS. I don't think they you don't win. have them. Okay. Well, I've got to win the World Series as well as the AL Central. I think AL Central's really weak this year. I mean, oh yeah, the Twins have been good. I think Casey Mize and those Tigers. Might- I, I was gonna say the Tigers might be the only team that finished above five hundred. Yeah. Besides them. All right, to the NL Central. We got to keep this thing rolling. Another kind of weak division that you, it's kind of an obvious choice with the Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah, and, the, and for me, what I'm looking for for the Brewers is, does Christian Yelich return to MVP form? Simple as that. I find it hard to believe he won't. I think that Christian Yelich is a great player that last year was an anomaly. It's not, it's not going to be the new norm. He's going to bounce back and have a great year. And then, I mean, just look at the rotation. Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta, Adrian Hauser, Eric Lauer. Those names you don't you don't miss. That's a solid five for the core of the rotation. And I really think that the Brewers 
are going to do really well. But that being said, I think the Cardinals might have something to say about it. I think they might even contend for a wild card spot again because you saw how they ended the year last year, that big winning streak to just miss out on the playoffs. I think that momentum carries into this year. Yeah, I agree. Heading out west, the AL West. This is an interesting division. You've got the Astros and Angels. Uh, they're the favorites. And then behind them, the Athletics, Mariners, Rangers, young teams that are up and coming. I, I think the order you mentioned them in, the uh, Houston and then the Angels out of Los Angeles, that's the order for my pick of the division. I, I think the Angels aren't quite there yet, but they are close with two of the best players in baseball. I mean, are, I, I compared it to this this morning, how the James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, they only played like 16 games together on the Nets before Harden got traded. I mean, it feels like Trout and Otani have not even played a week together. I don't know how much it's going to change. I just feel like one of those guys is just not going to be healthy at some point uh, throughout the season. We'll see, though. It'll be exciting to see them while they are on the field together. And I also I also have the Astros. I want to pick the Angels. I want Reigning AL MVP to Otani, I might add. Yeah, and it's just two AL MVPs on the same team. you got to put something together. They'll make a wild card. I think they'll make a wild card. I think they'll make a wild card with Boston. That's my prediction for the AL. I like it. All right, NL West. It comes down to the Dodgers and Giants. Simple I mean, as it's that. It's that simple. And the Dodgers, they really spent this year. Yeah, especially getting Freddie Freeman. The question was raised this morning, is he the best team or best player on the Dodgers now? Just shows the amount of firepower that they have on that team. Well, yeah, because he might not be. Yeah. Mookie Betts might be the best player. Hard to say right now because I don't know how he's going to fit in yet. I think he'll fit in just fine. Yeah. I, I mean, look, as, as, as upset as I act about Freddie Freeman – uh, uh, bailing on the Braves, not really bailing on the Braves. I still think it's just he's a great player. On the other side of the break, we are talking NBA. Do not go anywhere. This is the scoreboard. We're already halfway done with the scoreboard on Weagle 91.1 FM. You can find more Weagle content at WeagleFM.com or on social media at Weagle underscore AU. Welcome back to the scoreboard after that short break. Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. Sitting live in the Harold Melton Student Center on the campus of Auburn University. If you want to call in to be a part of the scoreboard, 334-844-9345 is the number to call, 334-844-9345. Just got done with our MLB discussion. If you missed that, you can go back and listen to our podcast wherever you may find them. Just search the scoreboard, Apple, Spotify, wherever you may find them, Transistor. We'll be there. Second half of the show getting kicked off right here with some NBA. That's right, NBA. They're closing in um, towards the end of the regular season, kind of getting a playoff picture right now um, with the play-in tournament also in place. Um, And, I I mean, the biggest thing right now is the Los Angeles Lakers getting eliminated from playoff contention. (laughs) Um, I don't think a lot of people are too mad about that. I think it's hilarious. I think it is, too. I mean, here's the thing. You you look at before the season when they made the trade for Russell Westbrook. I think there was a lot of praise for that trade for the Lakers. And I, you know, I thought they gave up a lot. I didn't I didn't think it was at the time. I was like, I mean, yeah, it's fine. You get another superstar with LeBron. But you gave, you gave up a lot. You gave up Harold. You gave up uh, uh, picks. You gave up Kyle Kuzma. And here you are. I think someone on Twitter called LeBron the best GM ever. And, of course, Freezing Cold said, nope. So, I mean, it is – it's kind of wild how the, the playoff picture is not – it's it's settled, but not really. Yeah. I, I think in regards to the Lakers, the biggest thing is somebody said that um, they have an option to sign LeBron until 2025, and it was the question raised of, does LeBron take that deal? 
Um, I don't know. Mm, that's, I mean, that's a that's a long time. Yeah, and we, I mean, Vogel's obviously out the door. Yes, he's fired. Um, I know that LeBron would hate to address this too, but it's like Anthony Davis, like he's made of glass. I mean, Russ didn't pan out the way he wanted. There's Street reports clothes. that Russell might uh, go to Charlotte. Wow. Yeah, there's reports. Not really. Sure. I don't know. Wow, that Maybe. would be interesting. Him and Lamelo together. <laughs> anyway, I don't know what they do because I think LeBron's. It's kind of at this point where you're in a position that you haven't. You won a championship two years ago, and everyone called it that Mickey Mouse championship. And because of COVID, here and- they are. Not doing really well after the fact. There's an asterisk by that championship forever yeah. for me forever, just because of the way the three other seasons in Los Angeles for him have panned out. I think I think everyone enjoys putting an asterisk by that year for champions because you had the Lakers, the Dodgers, <laughs> and then Alabama. So anyway, I I don't know what the strategy for the Lakers is moving forward. The last thing I'll say about Los Angeles is well, how do I say this? Um. Well, I forgot what I was going to say now. We'll move on. If I think of it, we'll come back. I just um, think that they, they are in such a bad position. That, that's They, they are. And, and Oh, here, this is what I was going to say. The last thing I'll say about LeBron and the Lakers is uh, it has brought up the conversation of of ending the GOAT debate. Does this kind of end the GOAT debate for Ooh. you? No. I don't know. That, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still like not playing in the in a game where you're gonna get eliminated from the playoffs. Woo! You can't make the excuse of age because somebody made a graphic of the age of the starting lineup of the Lakers, and they were like 30, 35, 36, 32, 34, and then it shows Michael Jordan's Bulls when they won the '97 championship, and nobody's younger than 32 in that starting lineup. So, wow, that's I hadn't considered that. There's a lot of stuff like that. There's obviously LeBron not playing in the game where they got eliminated. There's just the, the way LeBron carries himself. I don't know. That That's a, a debate we can get into like we have before. Um, I don't know. I have to think about that. I, I don't have an There's answer. A, right. you got to look them up. I There's don't a, have an answer right now. There's Just, a lot of good points about that. I mean, I, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of on the MJ train, as I always have been, but I don't – I just – immediate reaction to you saying that, it doesn't – I don't immediately say, oh, okay, yeah, definitely MJ now. So, yeah. I don't know. But – Anyways, we'll go back to the playoffs of the NBA, uh, the Western Conference. Of course, the Phoenix Suns clinching that one seed at 63-17 and 17, um, as the regular season comes to a winding close. They have two games left um, of their 82-game schedule, followed by the Memphis Grizzlies at two, Golden State Warriors at three, Dallas Mavericks at four, Utah Jazz at five, the Denver Nuggets sitting at six, the Minnesota Timberwolves at seven, uh, the Los Angeles Clippers at 540 and 40 at the eight spot. Uh, number nine, New Orleans Pelicans, and number ten, the San Antonio Spurs. So uh, the Timberwolves and the Spurs will be playing each other, and then the Clippers and the Pelicans right now playing each other for the play-in. Um, I don't believe that will change. Those four should be the play-ins unless something just crazy happens with Minnesota and Denver. But um, that should be the four for the play-in out of the West. Yeah, and. And to play in with, like, those teams, I don't know if I see any of those teams doing anything out of the play-in. I mean, the Spurs are the Spurs. You got Coach Pop. The Pelicans, oh, goodness gracious. I don't. I just don't know. They don't seem very good to me. The Clippers, I guess I could see if PG is fully healthy and doing his thing, and who knows. 
the Timberwolves, I guess, are my are my best bet. Obviously, the Clippers. I mean, the Clippers missed Kawhi too, so mm -hmm. that's a big thing for them. If any of the p teams out of the play and did anything, um, Minnesota may give a fight to whoever they'd be playing. But yeah, outside of that, I mean, Denver and Utah. Utah has lost several double digit leads this year. I mean, I think fifteen plus point games that they were leading in. Um, it's that, like the Knicks. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's a team to avoid when you're picking your playoffs, uh, your winners. I truly think it'll be the Grizzlies and Suns in the conference championship. Probably. Uh, I mean, I just – I don't trust the Warriors. I want to – you know, I've always been – You're tempted I, by Luka. That's what I was going to say. I've always been high on the Mavs, but I just feel like being a – they can't be the four seed. they got to get above the Warriors. If, they, if, the, if the Mavericks go into the playoffs as a three seed and they don't have to play – the Suns in the second round. All right, I'll 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 start thinking about it and believing it. But right now, as it stands, I cannot say the the Mavericks will make any kind of run. The out of the top four seeds of the West, um, two teams are seven and three. One's eight and two, and only one team out of the top four is below five hundred in their last ten, uh, three and seven, and that's the Warriors. So, if you have some disbelief in Golden State, there's good reason why. Uh, real quick for me, my pick out of the West, it's going to be the Suns. I think they go back. I'm, you know. Even though John Morant should be back for playoffs, the Grizzlies are apparently better without him. That's for what whatever I was going to say. So, I like Phoenix. They've been yeah. there before. Yeah, I'm not – I mean, it's hard for me to pick against the Suns the way they've been playing this entire season. I mean, of course, you never know when the, the Heat might – you know, when the, when the Sun might fizzle out. <laughs> and I just don't think that happens the way they've played all year long. Suns to the finals. Moving to the East. Um, as it stands right now in order, Miami at one, Boston at two, Milwaukee at three, Philadelphia at four, Toronto at five, making some late moves, uh, Chicago, who was once sitting atop the East uh, at six, Cleveland at seven, Brooklyn at eight somehow, Atlanta at nine, and then Charlotte at ten, um, and that's going to be your playoff picture right about there. Nothing should really change with these last two games uh, unless a couple seeds move around, but those will be your ten teams in. Uh, with Cleveland, Brooklyn, Atlanta, and Charlotte in the play-in. Um, I guess the first quick question would be, does anybody out of the play-in possibly make, make any noise? I would think it would be the Cavs. That's what I was going to say. The way they played earlier this year, it felt like, okay, they've got a chance. Of course, they're not going to have Colin Sexton. And they got some other injuries they're dealing with, but I do think that uh, uh, guys like Garland and hopefully Isaac Coro, Coro or uh, can get things going. Uh, Evan Mobley, he's, he's questionable for uh, tomorrow night's game. And then um, Jared Allen, okay, yeah, he's out there. Uh, he's out indefinitely. You got to get him back. Get him back, and I'll believe as well. The only other team that I think could do something, or actually, I'm not even going to say that because three of the four teams in the play-in uh, have former Auburn Tigers on them. Wow. So pulling for those play-in teams. Yeah. And you know, I'm fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> not not that JT Thor is getting a ton of playing time with the with the Hornets. But hey. A ring's a ring. Sharif got called up last night. He did. He was wearing the throwbacks last night. Oh, that was nice. That was cool. That was nice. Uh, out of the East, who is your pick to go to the NBA Finals? This is tough because I think, you know, you've got the clear front runner out West. In the East, I mean, it could be the Bucks. It could be the Celtics. Who knows what the 76ers are made of? I think that Joel Embiid will win the MVP. But I don't know if that's going to translate to the playoffs. Who do I like? The team that I didn't mention. I like the Heat. I think okay. that that Bam Adebayo. I mean, I know I know it's chalky picking both the one seeds, but it's just it's just I think the other teams are going to eat each other alive, or the Heat are probably going to get an easy uh, uh easy eight seed. 
and Cruz. So, Jimmy Butler, I mean, I didn't realize Tyler Hero was averaging 20 points per game. Yeah. It's, what? It's something, like, I, I saw something about that, like, a week or two ago, and it was... That's nuts. It was stupid. That's crazy. Um, if he keeps that up, I mean, the Heat are going with the championship, I think. Unless Jimmy Butler kills Eric Spolster before That's a then. good point. Um, I, I like... I like Boston. The reason being, they've played really well lately. Uh, they've they've been the hottest team in the East for the last half of the season. No other team has really done what they've done the last several weeks and climbed the way that they have and kind of gelled together the way that they have. Um, so I like Boston right now. A week or two into the playoffs, that might change. Um, but right now, I like the green and white. I like uh, Boston Celtics. And I do think that's a good pick as well. I think that the Celtics – see – we're both going to be wrong, you know. <laughs> the, you oh, know yeah, that's you, how it works on the scoreboard. You know Giannis is about to go off in the playoffs, yeah. score average 30 points per game, and yeah. just absolutely dominate. But what I'll say about the – we'll get a preview of that uh, tonight. The Celtics are at the Bucks actually, on TNT. But as far as the Celtics go, I mean, when Jason Tatum's on, he's freaking on. Yeah, he is. You're not stopping him. Jalen Brown, it's kind of the same way. So you get those guys in a groove – I like the Celtics. That leaves a question. NBA Finals champion. I like Phoenix. They've been the most consistent yeah. team all year in the NBA. They sat atop, atop the West the whole year. And I'm trying to think of the way that the matchup for me between the Heat and the Suns, that matchup. And I want to say Adebayo would neutralize uh, Aiton enough. But I don't know what they're going to do about Devin Booker so and, and Chris Paul for that matter. So give me the Suns. I like the Suns as well. On the other side of the break, we close the scoreboard out for today. Only a few more episodes, so we close it out for good. Pain. Pain. <laughs> um, we're going to come back with some Auburn baseball to close out today's edition of the scoreboard. Do not touch your dial. Do not go anywhere. Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman, Weagle 91.1. One more segment before we turn off the scoreboard for the day. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Scoreboard with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. You can listen to us live every Thursday at 4 p.m. on WEGL 91.1 FM or at WEGLFM.com. Welcome back into The Scoreboard on WEGL 91.1 FM. We're streaming at WEGLFM.com. I'm Jacob Hillman sitting alongside Bay Marks. If you missed any part of the show, our Final Four recap, uh, Major League Baseball opening day discussion, or our NBA playoff picture you can go wherever you find your podcast, look up the scoreboard, and listen to that. Let's give a quick Masters update in round one. Tied for first, Cam Smith, Sung J.M., and Dustin Johnson at minus four. M, he actually bogeyed two holes to start off his back nine, but then came back with an eagle on hole 13 to get back to first place. Danny Willett, the 2016 champion, sits at minus three. Uh, Joaquin Neiman at minus three as well. Scotty Scheffler, the world number one. And Zalatoris, the Cinderella story from last season or last Masters, all at minus three. Jason Kokrak, Corey Connors, Brooks Kepka, uh, Bay's pick to win the Masters, sit at a tie for eighth at minus two. Good pick. Everyone, who everyone's there to watch. Tiger Woods, tie for 11th at minus one, a 71 today, also at minus one, and rounding out the top 11. Harry Higgs, Kevin Naw, Daniel Berger, Tony Finau, Lee Westwood, Webb Simpson, and... Matthew Fitzpatrick. So a log jam Tiger there only, at minus one. Tiger only wins when he shoots 70 in the first round. So, well, that's going to change this year. Okay. We'll see. That's going to change. My, this my year. Brooks pick looks really good right now. Anyway, it's a big weekend on the Plains as I'm watching live. It looks like Victor Hovland it comes inches away from a hole in one on number 12, Golden Bell at Augusta. As 
I said, we look ahead to this weekend. It's a big weekend on the Plains, right? Huge. You got A-Day on Saturday. We'll recap that next week on the scoreboard. You got Auburn baseball hosting number 12 Vanderbilt at Plainsman Park Friday through Sunday. And then you got men's tennis hosting number 10 South Carolina and number 1 Florida at the Arboro Tennis Center on Friday and Sunday. So it's going to be a beautiful weekend. Maybe a little cool in the mornings, but put on the jacket, go out, support the Tigers. We're talking Auburn baseball, though, right now, as them, them road Tigers are looking good. Yeah, I was going to say, it's kind of tough to to start where you want to start, start talking about this team. I mean, this is the first time Auburn's coming off back-to-back SEC road wins, and dating back to last season, they've won four straight road series. Um, that's the first time in 24 years that they've done so. It was They broke that streak at LSU's almost like, the streak that football ended Auburn, at LSU. They're Auburn's they're saying LSU. they're saying Baton Rouge is Auburn University West. You know I, that's I, Auburn I University's to think that a little bit right now. Baton Rouge satellite campus. Um, <laughs> Jack Hart in the studio. Jack with confirms us, giving us some comments. <laughs> um, but the the thing is, is you'd almost rather play this game away from home. Um, I mean, this is Auburn's first home game in twenty days. That's crazy. Twenty days. And I know Coach Thompson is so excited for that. Just especially on 8A weekend, to come back in front with a number in front of your name, number 25 uh, in the rankings. So it's going to be a fun win. Yeah. Auburn is 11-6 and six at home this year, and Jacob mentioned the uh, road wins they've gotten. They're 9-3 and three on the road and in neutral games combined. An interesting fact, too, with the history or the recent history Vanderbilt has had, you would think Auburn does not lead the series with the Commodores, correct? Not, not correct. I would assume so. Auburn leads the series with them all time, ninety six to sixty four, and an even better fifty four and twenty two against them at Plainsman Park. Well, I think Vanderbilt's more of a recent success story. Oh yeah, that's why. That's why I said recent. All, Auburn baseball, the history is um, there. My my big thing too is also not only did Auburn get two huge back to back road SEC series at A and M and at LSU. Vandy is coming off a demolishing sweep at home against their rival in Tennessee, who out of no my not, God, out of, not out of nowhere, but I mean, I don't, I didn't think Tennessee was going to be this good. I looked at it. We knew was, they'd be a pretty decent team. I was thinking, but sit, sit in the top ten all year, maybe lose a series or two in a row, drop out. But what they've lost what one game this year? I mean, it's a non-con crazy. game, like it's nuts. So, but that that's a big thing too. Is they're also coming off of that Auburn's coming back home where Hayden Mullins. Uh, Trace Bright and uh, Gonzalez, they're going to get the starts that in that order Friday through Sunday. Um, Hayden coming back after being lined with a pitch right to the side of the face. Um, Gonzalez I, coming back from the blister. Gonzalez coming back from the blister. He pitched well in the rubber match in Baton Rouge. Um, and then Trace Bright doing what Trace Bright does. Auburn did not get the win that day uh, last weekend when he pitched in the bayou, but he showed some promising stuff as he always does. And here's so. the thing. You can't really put the blame on Trace, I would say, in that loss to LSU, I think that the bullpen still has a lot of work to do. I mean, you've got to solidify closer with Blake Burkhalter. You've got to solidify bridge guy with Carson Skipper. Outside of that, you're still looking for guys to do something. Chase Olsup had a great game at UAB on Tuesday night. Coach Thompson was so impressed with him in hopes that he could work his way into SEC action. But we're going to have to see more from other guys than just that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think another big thing, too, was um, – or another big thing, too, about this series, I might add, is this is Auburn's third top 12 opponent in the first four weeks of conference play. The only one being not being top 12, obviously, Texas A&M, still a great baseball program. So that pitching, like you're mentioning, in my opinion, is going to be possibly the deciding factor, knowing what you'll get from Auburn's bats. Yeah, and, and you mentioned Texas A&M, that great program. 
they had their largest attendance series ever against the Tigers. At Bluebell Park. I mean. That is not a small stadium. No, it is I mean, not. That's, a, that's right behind LSU and some of the other big ones in the SEC. It was, but I look at this weekend as a weekend that you went to, and I think the nation has attention on Auburn. Yeah. And that you grab the nation's attention. You win the series. You don't have to sweep. You win the series. That This is a top 15 team entering next week. And even if you only win one, everything's okay. This is a great Vanderbilt team. Yeah, they're coming off two series losses, but it's against Tennessee, and I don't. I just don't see how you can be negative about this team. Now, what I will say is the coming weeks are going to be really important as you go to Mississippi State, a Mississippi State team that's not the national champions that they were last year. Then you get two midweek home games against Alabama State, Kennesaw State that lead into a home series against South Carolina. I think you've got to get both of those series, uh, South Carolina, Mississippi State, because after that, you are going to number one Tennessee. And then you're right there at it hosting number two Arkansas. So these next few weeks are critical, and you can't hang your head if you only grab one game uh, to Vanderbilt this weekend. No, I agree. I mean, this is still the number 12 team in the nation, a team that is consistently in Omaha, consistently winning national championships within the past decade. Um, I mean, this, this is going to be a true series that we've seen uh, Auburn lately scratch and claw and fight to get runs and wins, which is honestly Auburn's way to win this year. I mean, you saw it in tech, at Texas A&M with the games that they played there. You saw it especially in game one in Baton Rouge with Josh Hall, that last out. I mean, that kind of that kind of represents the way Auburn played that game. They were down early, had to come back and fight and claw and give everything they had and put their guts on the line. So I think you're going to get nothing short of that this weekend. And I think that the offense is your key. Vanderbilt's starting pitching is, um, I mean, it's the first two days, 3.16 ERA for Chris McElvain, and then Carter Holton has a 3.89 ERA. There's some that guy's a 1.21. Okay, hello. Yeah. And I think that what you're looking at from Auburn with the rotation I don't know if they're going to change it from this the rest of the way as long as things keep going well. I think they would have liked to go Gonzalez, Mullins, Bright. I think that was the game plan from the get-go at SEC play was Bright's going to be on Sunday, Gonzalez is going to be on Friday, and they're going to figure out who it is, and it's been Mullins. But the way Hayden's been pitching on Friday nights and the way even Trace has done on Saturday, or those game twos, and the way Gonzalez did last Sunday or Saturday. And I'll mention one guy that was in that Friday spot, Jordan Armstrong, him and Mason Barnett, I think, are the two guys right behind Carson Skipper that out of the bullpen now. Now that neither of them are in the starting lineup, you can really count on um, to come in, give you quality innings, and help win a series. Well, it's going to be an exciting week at the ballpark. Looking for record attendance this weekend. Saturday's game is already sold out right after the A-Day game, Friday and Sunday. I don't think there's many tickets left. Probably dozens. Go to aubtix.com if you want to uh, hang out at the ballpark this weekend. But that's going to do it for the scoreboard. On this Thursday edition, happy opening day, happy Masters weekend. For Bay Marks, I'm Jacob Hillman, signing off on the scoreboard. This has been the scoreboard on Weagle 91.1 FM with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. Join us every Thursday at 4 as Jacob and Bay cover all the happenings in sports. You can keep up with all the great shows on Weagle by streaming us on our website at weglfm.com and following us on Twitter and Instagram at weglau. underscore